0: Welcome to the new season of the Digital Goal Podcast. This is season two, and I'm sitting here today with Stefan Russ, the founder of Laguna Labs. Stefan, welcome to the show. I'm super excited to be here. <laughs> I'm excited to launch it again, especially with you, man. It's yeah, no, a great story you have, and I'm excited to dive into it for everyone. Yeah. So tell me more about Laguna Labs. How did you, when did you have the idea that we needed the products that you guys set out
1: to build? So it was started off a while back, right? When COVID hit, government shut everything down. What are we going to do? How are we going to live with that? Um, we'll print a lot of money, but it's not going to have any impact. On no anybody. impact. No all. impact whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. We can shut down whole economy. It's not going to have any impact, and we will just print money anyway. And I just felt something's got to give, right? And then, and ultimately, it was inflation, right? And so, all I, well, I was also intrigued by Terra, the stablecoin that they mm-hmm. launched, and so how can we build an inflation protected stablecoin and then ultimately provide more governance on chain as it relates to quantitative easing quantitative tightening Mm -hmm. and that there's a transparent you know not curated but you know immutable visible participatory sort of way of supporting the economy and opportunities and so you mentioned a way that couldn't be obstructed or manipulated so you had to build your own data source right yeah, yeah so we we looked at how the data source is being aggregated we noticed that it was like more than a hundred years old right so they built this back in 1920s wow so it was like and on paper and pencil, on paper and pencil all surveys all. you know and now they do the same surveys and they do it with ipads <laughs> <laughs> that's the innovation and so we just felt let's take a developer mindset to do this um how do we aggregate some I think we've sourced from 50 million different sources, 50 different sources, 18 million items that we track on a daily basis. 18 million Million items that you guys track, all via programmatic. All programmatic, all on chain, visible for free to anybody that wants to go, look at the dashboard and you can see across 12 indexes at the moment, but we'll have about 50 in about a week's time. Wow, so these indexes, what? What are they? Everyday household goods? Uh, Household goods, rent, you know, is it rent that you're paying? Is it a mortgage you're paying? The prices of housing—is um, it food? Is it in f- food that you eat in at home and you cook? Grocery store mm-hmm. food, or is it food that you eat out at a restaurant? Your utility bills, your yeah. the cost of electricity, because ultimately that's influencing the amount you transport, right? Your transportation costs—the cost of everything, the cost of everything, right? Electricity. I mean, <laughs> gas. You're, you're, you're it's, gasoline. Gasoline. it's like we got
0: these two building blocks of our lives, and we don't realize how much
1: the cost affects exactly everyone. And, and that's that's really just we've just been focused on that and try to identify all new sources. So just before I we started this podcast, I had a call with a entity out of Switzerland that are aggregating environmental data. Okay. And so they've hashed it all on the blockchain, and so we're working with them to put that and make that available to smart contract developers, mm. so that smart contract developers then can build products. Financial instruments that allow anybody to hedge themselves and protect their purchasing power. So, what type of environmental data are you talking about? Like, is this temperature? Is this humidity? Or is this? So, it's less climate data. So, we have another partner that we're working with, and we'll be announcing that next (laughs) week as well, where we're actually bringing to market climate data. So, all temperature, uh, hyperbaric pressure. Wow. uh, We're uh, we're bringing. historical weather data you know floods warnings uh etc so when you start bringing this data to the oracles
0: that means people can build markets on top of this data that then they can make synthetic
1: like purchases or decisions or bets effectively exactly okay exactly and so if you look at the derivatives market worldwide, it's a quadrillion dollar size industry. You look at the commodities industry, it's another tr- couple of trillion yeah. dollars. I mean, we can't even fathom those numbers because so there's big. so many zeros. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, I think, you know, realistically, it's, it's just, um, yeah, it, everybody's going to be building off the back of this. And we want to allow that creativity to flourish
0: to flourish. And I think that's one of the important things is you need to have the right data set to understand how you're being impacted by these decisions that are so far out, yeah. that are so um, abstract for most people. Like what is a what is a quarter basis point rate increase look like? What does a one basis point rate mean to you? Yeah. You have no way to correlate
1: that to your day-to-day life. So you guys are helping bridge the gap. Exactly. And we're not only really doing that. So we're also allowing we're building a personal calculator okay so what is person what is inflation to you mm. because your spending might be different to my spending yeah. might be different to you know anybody else's spending right male spending or whatever right and so as a result how do we deal with that right yeah. and, and and how do we calculate inflation to me because I'm driving a lot car you know oh man I, I have a high cost of transportation so the inflation to me is 12% right mm-hmm. but somebody in the UK that's staying at home working from home has to use aircon during the day because it's so hot heating yeah. in the winter at night they're suffering 88% inflation on utility costs yep. so for them inflation is going to be slightly higher how do you aggregate that number? Do I state, do I put that into my own spreadsheet? I can upload a CSV file. Mm-hmm. Do I use Mint to be able to track all my expenditure and my budgets? I can import from Mint. Can I have it on MasterCard? I see all my MasterCard expenditure, and I import that, and it then calculates my personal inflation, and that's also gonna be for free, so anybody can calculate That's an amazing that. tool, because
0: yeah. that's one of the things I think is in part with inflation is yeah. how does it affect me versus how does it affect you? As you mentioned, electricity in UK is yeah. going crazy. So that is, that's such a cool tool. Yeah. So what are the numbers you guys are seeing at Truflation versus the numbers that are being reported or the numbers that have been reported? Is it? A small difference is it magnitudes of a difference um or is it pretty similar
1: no i mean we had a magnitude a much bigger difference earlier on um and it seems to be plateauing at sort of a level of eight to nine percent okay um we're reporting nine percent on Trueflation for the us and the government's reporting 8.2%. Mm-hmm. And so there is a bit of a discrepancy about by 1%, but it was greater earlier on. We were in double-digit. We had recorded double-digit uh, inflations mm. at the peak Wow, up to thirteen percent. We were just shy of
0: thirteen percent inflation. And so, when you're calculating the number, and also the government is like a six months of like lagging data. Is there like a is there a string to it, or is it just today, the present moment?
1: Like, how does that work? Yeah. So we we do it on a daily basis. We can't get it right now to have it real time. Yeah. We want to get it to real time, but in order to do real time, we need to have more predictive uh, capabilities mm. in terms of taking into account future pricing. Of specific commodities uh, and, and that will then ultimately also then have an impact on today's prices that we experience yeah uh, but we do it on a daily basis in contrast the government is about 30 days um, late so we're 30 times faster than the existing reporting mechanism and do you guys only doing US dollar inflation domination or is there other currencies uh, interesting, interesting inflation yeah so people have asked us so we listen to the community and what they ask us so they asked us to then go to the UK so we launched inflation calculator for the UK okay um, and we leveraged the same architecture that we have and so that was very easy We're now getting asked to have it in different denomination so we at the past or so far today it's still only do US dollar denomination. Mm-hmm. And we're looking to sort of see what other, we've been actually been asked, can you put it in BTC and ETH terms, right? Ooh, okay. So I can then see <laughs> how it ranks against that. And so we want to then have a widget that we can then add, that you can then have, compare versus Bitcoin versus ETH, and then you can then actually US dollar and see what inflation looks like. I think this idea that, you know, we change
0: the base denominator currency is completely new over the next yeah. past 20 years. Like, okay, you know, first year, the forex currencies, dollar, sterling, euro but now it's like oh wait you can add any asset underneath yeah. there really or any type of currency in the like bitcoin ethereum so that that's that's huge yeah. for the for the future um let's see so we mentioned you talked about personalizing inflation data yeah. what type of actions can someone take when they have that personalized
1: information <laughs> let's let's hear about that yeah so how do i hedge myself right exactly. if i know i'm experiencing a 10 percent inflation how do i hedge myself against that what do i do and those are questions that we're now trying to identify products associated with that. And that's what we do at Laguna Labs. We're building and we specialize in tools and protocols that enable inflation protection, inflation-proof economic opportunities, right? Yep. And so what do they look like? Now that we know what inflation is, or true inflation? then how do we now build these products? One of the products that we first launched was is a flat coin, okay. and a flat coin is a stable coin, Pegged to inflation, okay. So it actually moves U.S. dollar plus minus inflation. Minus when we have deflation, plus when we have inflation. So it sways both ways, and it's just that it stays flat to a basket of items okay. that you purchase on a regular basis. So it could some is it the dollar? Like could,
0: is it a basket of items for the whole world or the whole U.S. or is it for the stable point? I guess or is it a
1: basket of items per individual? At the moment, it's a basket of items for the U.S., US, so we've just got it for the U.S. We don't have it for individual yet, but what we're doing is, I mean, we've been on this journey. We've launched the product about maybe five months ago in the level of maturity. We had an MVP, Mm -hmm. which was people could play around with. We were getting market feedback and giving independent developers the ability to practice and tell us how to yeah. improve it so that they could get a bit of a advantage and build products ahead of others. We have 40 companies and developers building on top of the Truflation data today. Are you able to talk further about what these companies are building on top of your platform? Like any really cool use cases that you're oh, yeah. like, holy, Yeah, Yeah, super cool use cases I mean you you can always expect right so they they're building prediction markets right so people can gamble on what the inflation is gonna be so like you could gamble on what their coffee is gonna cost in the future yes yes so they've taken all this up we don't have coffee right now we will have the coffee index up there but you have already you know they they built out you know the cost of food what's food index how's Mm -hmm. that gonna change And so and then there's a company in Latin America they built a lottery ticket. So you're buying lottery oh, and in, in the form of an NFT, a dynamic NFT, you're buying a lottery that then shifts based on um, true inflation data and at a cutoff time that that data counts and then you win or you lose, right? So interesting. <laughs> so they're actually the lottery prize yeah. is, is worth more
0: or less because of inflation. <laughs> this is opening up a whole other world because, you know, before you weren't able to speculate on inflation. Yeah. It was like, this is what, what it is. Yeah. You, you can't really stockpile a bunch of food and gas and hold it for five years from now, but you've effectively opened up these financial markets, which are tools we have, you know, derivative markets to hedge corn production for farmers. And you're saying, why don't we hedge the product, our consumption of anything? Yeah. And when that realization or on that journey, how is that shift? How has that changed? Like are you, as you join in or you jump into this inflation kind of like conversation more, what are you learning about this massive force on people that you know we really don't know
1: the full implications. So it has an impact to everybody, right? And, and now that we're actually aggregating all these different components that all add up to the CPI, yep. and are leading indicators to a CPI, we get a feel for what the sentiment is, but also we get the feel for what the price of oil is today. And if I can create a flat coin based on the price of oil, Can we, uh, based on the CPI basket, can I create a flat coin to oil, corn, to sugar, to coffee? So I can buy today a coffee at coffee's price and I know in a year's time when I really want that coffee, I can actually buy that coffee at today's price, price. at the same price. I know I will always get a basket or a bushel of wheat, or I don't know what the terms are Mm -hmm. or the measurement, but I will always be able to buy that same amount today. So it's ultimately the hedge for anybody and it's available to everybody, right? Not only airlines that can hedge against oil and have huge treasuries for that. I, I, all of a sudden, we've democratized that and made that available to every farmer, every coffee drinker, you know, that would want to Any individual. Any individual. Any So the, the process is
0: that you believe that the price of, let's say, coffee is gonna go up in the future, yeah. or food, your food basket, so you're gonna put dollars into the stable coin today, to protect against that basket from degrading can you use those dollars in any way while they're in the protocol or do they have to sit there as liquidity how is that are you guys working on features for that or
1: yeah we'll, we'll be like? working on features for that we don't have those yet today but yep. I mean ultimately you'll be able to trade off that okay we want to get to a point where you can then actually go and spend that in a payment network somehow. Okay. So, I mean, ultimately, this is a journey, we're in a marathon, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I mean, if you think about it, we came, you know, we got into Bitcoin really early. We're very lucky to do that. And if you look at it, you know, what's it now, 12, 13 years since, you know, and we now have, you know, the Federal Reserve Chairman go up there and saying that cryptocurrencies are influencing their decision making policies right that's huge and that's huge in the course of 10 years right so that goal of separating state money is is something that is still i believe core that of an objective of what we should be achieving i
0: 100 agree yeah. we got to sep- that's the biggest invention that bitcoin yeah. came yeah. It came and brought to the world so the question i have for you is electrification Electricity is what backs Bitcoin in my mind. Yeah. How does that compare to the advancements in Web3 and what you're seeing there? How are those similar? So, are they just two
1: massive forces that have been introduced to the world that are going to change everything we know? So, my view, Web3 is just a marketing ploy, right? It's a new cool name to shrink wrap all of this stuff that's going on. In the blockchain from cryptocurrencies to blockchain to the technology the coins uh, to smart contracts it's oh. just we call it blanket web 3. blanket web 3. I right? it. <laughs> so, and it's a new name right so it's fresh and oh people uh it's politically correct to talk about web 3. but if you talk about cryptocurrencies ooh, what are the reg- regulations associated that with that all yeah, right or it's like a, a bitcoin <laughs> energy usage it's like oh, chill yeah. it's okay <laughs> And I think what a lot of people don't understand is that from the energy, I mean, electricity is the core of what drives the economy. Every economy needs electricity. And if yep. you look, I mean, there's even a book that came out, somebody wrote about it, about the right, when the rising tigers in Asia grew, they had air economics. Mm. It wasn't economics, it was air economics. Why? Because they built enough electricity supply to, to maintain cooling in all of their office buildings across Singapore, Hong Kong, etc. so that people could work in dire heat and humidity whilst, and be productive still without no. being, oh, I need a siesta, it's so hot, I can't <laughs> work anymore. And in, in Austin, same thing, right? We've got enough aircon to be able to work in an environment that we don't need to be out in the dry heat versus the humid heat. And these these problems
0: effectively made, these solutions is going to make humans way more valuable but um, productive
1: productive exactly and like better off overall so web three what is it how is it gonna make us better and I think proof of work has a bad you know I mean the institutions have created a bad reputation for something that is hyper-efficient and what people don't realize is that every builder in the, the, the proof of work industry has to bring down their electricity costs all day long it's all about efficiency and and, and it's how can i bring that down and and you tapping in it's actually an electro dollar right mm. i mean it's 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 really it's what bitcoin yeah, is effectively it's really that um, and then the shift to proof of work i mean we just from proof of work to proof of state that that for example ethereum had just done yep you know that uh, they claim that it brought down worldwide energy's energy supply by 0.2 percent mm which is a huge number. I don't know what what energy supply is worldwide, but I'm sure you go to that. Cambridge has a cool website where you can go and see how much Mm -hmm. worldwide supply is. Um, And so they brought that down. But then, you know, the same people that complained about the electricity consumption in a proof of work network, you know complain about ah oh, now it's a security now you can't have that right so well, yeah I mean, the sec was like
0: because their ethereum
1: nodes are all in the us now, it's a security. now we're gonna, we're going to security why is it a security because all of a sudden it's supposedly deflationary and mm. uh, because they're supposed to be burning more coins than they are minting new coins yep um, and if you actually go, there's a website called ultrastable.money, yep. and you can actually see how much they're burning and how much they're minting. And in fact, they're not burning, and it's not deflationary, it's still inflationary, just at a much lower rate than if it were a proof of work network. Mm-hmm. No, I've been thinking the proof of work networks are,
0: like you said, the electro dollar is what Bitcoin yep. gives it its value. Definitely. Um, and it's interesting because we're seeing that these energy companies, they don't actually want to mine Bitcoin. And then when you think about it, they don't want to use their own energy. Their yeah. energy companies. They don't want to use their own energy to mine Bitcoin because of the potential PR, the bad press of using energy to mine Bitcoin. And like you're multinational conglomerates, but you don't see the value of this energy dollar yet. And so it's going to take more
1: years for that, that trend to shift to in change, education. Right? Yeah. So, but they have a lot of wastage throughout the production, the transmission. Yeah. Uh, the the extraction, sorry, and then the transmission, and then the generation. Well then that's the
0: problem. There's this one group came to me and they said, hey, we have a coal plant. We can't meet demand of the grid because we can't get the coal plant started fast enough. So we can't actually be that last reserve to make sure the grid doesn't go into blackout or brownout because the coal plant's not running to full capacity. But if they had a Bitcoin miner it would already be running to full capacity, and then they could automatically put the power on the grid. But that right there might even be too, you know, not controversial. controversial. Exactly.
1: So it's like it's little crazy. things like that, like even utilizing the energy resources. And yeah. is that because they have institutional investors? Are they publicly listed companies? They're, they're publicly listed, but it's
0: it might be institutional investors. It could be the, the public about, oh, you're mining Bitcoin, like that uses energy. We have this false assumption of society. I think it probably plays into the true inflation index well, is that there's not enough energy in the world. Yep. There's not enough goods in the world. Yep. And we were talking about how earlier, how someone could you know, how we could use the tools you guys are building yeah. to really extend the let's say the ability for the world to grow above 78 billion people what is like what do you see uh, what is holding us back from like economic growth economic prosperity for, for all is it just massive policies like I mean that's a hard question to answer but like what do you see holding us back the most incumbents
1: incumbents incumbents these are the incumbents today and coming back one of the ideas that i have as to why they're so reluctant to use and run up at capacity using bitcoin mining is because if they did that that would not comply with esg Mm -hmm. criteria under which All these big institutional funds, these legacy incumbent funds can invest into their stock. Mm. And so as a result, they're worried that their stock will go down. They won't have that many shareholders interested in their stock because they've done something that does not comply to this checklist that was put in place by these incumbents. And that's been a big push over the
0: past six, seven years. Like ESG wasn't a thing in 2010. No. As much as it, it is, is now. It is today, right? It's, it's,
1: it's taken everything, you know, by, by, and, crux, and, and and funny thing is Tesla doesn't fit into the ESG criteria, but Shell, BP, you know, all these big, you know, Exxon, you know, all of these big oil companies, they're okay. They comply. Yeah. So do. I don't understand that checklist. It just doesn't compute. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> the biggest electric car maker.
0: <laughs> so we talked about, we're talking about Web3. How did you get into Web3? Like you were a Bitcoiner, you just were here along the whole journey or was there an aha moment for you?
1: No, I mean, smart contracts was the aha moment, right? The fact that I could put more governance on chain and have the chain provide a consensus Mm -hmm. for smart contracts. To me, for that governance, that was awesome. Um, that was really the aha moment. The realization. Yeah, the real, I mean, I really got into Bitcoin because I loved the peer-to-peer electronic cash system. That's mm-hmm. what I loved about it. I could pay. I could send money around the world to anybody I wanted to that had a Bitcoin wallet. And if they didn't have one, I got them to get one. Yeah, a <laughs> And, and, <everyone. laughs> um, and um, yeah, and, and the fact that you could do that seamlessly, instantaneously, at no fees, just that to me was just awe-inspiring, right? Um, and it changed how we do commerce, yeah. it changed how we think about the world. And so
0: now Web3 is changing how we move, how we get consensus and how we run programs on chain. Yeah. So trueflation. how much of that is, what is the data all on chain? Like how do you guys collect making these data pools or data sources?
1: So we're not fully decentralized yet but yep. we're putting it all on chain and every it's all hashed every daily the numbers are all hashed so okay. everybody can go and check it and it won't get it altered and changed right And that's huge That's that's a first step right do We know
0: how the CPI is we know it's calculated we know its weights right but we don't know the data behind the weight, or if they're cherry-picking data. You you don't even know the weights. You don't know the allocations
1: specifically. And it's all curated, right? You don't see transparently how they come to those calculations. And so we've tried to make it extremely visible for anybody to see. Visualization is really important. I think a lot of people look with their eyes versus reading Mm -hmm. in spreadsheets. Um, And so that was just a big um, set of feedback that we got. Um, and the fact that we're actually aggregating 18 million price items and tracking that versus the 60,000 that um, other institutions sort of. That's one million. Yeah, 18, insane. Insane. So, one <laughs> of the things I've heard about. And we have multiple price points for a lot of those 18
0: million items. And what do you mean, like different types of price points? So, like one item of one vendor is this much, this vendor might be this much. Exactly. And so, one of the things I've heard is that. Inflation historically has been low because technology is advancing and the price of televisions are going down. Yeah. How is that affecting your index, or how did you guys take that into consideration? Is that you know, what does that mean for people looking at inflation? You know, if, if you're waiting a TV that you only buy once every five years, you know, if you're waiting that oh everyone buys a TV every every year or a new laptop every year, obviously it's getting cheaper.
1: Like how do you how do you deal with that? So, I mean, we, we build that into the equation. We, we then have a data team that go and do look at the weighting. Okay. And where we're getting to is, within the next sort of three to six months, we'll then be exposing all of that weighting and allowing uh, token holders to then allocate and vote and help us structure the weighting. Oh, at wow. the moment, we're working with bigger inst- I mean, institutions. We're working with uh, Penn State to help us with the real estate uh, location and how we weight property, and how come how we get to a better algorithm that then computes what is the price change across the U.S. for re- residential, commercial real estate, things mm-hmm. like that. So that
0: that's that is huge. So you guys are working with multiple partners yeah. to get all this data. I mean, how do you keep up with it? You
1: got the stable point, you got Trueflation. <laughs> like, come on. We're we about fifty people across Google Labs at the moment. So the the, the Trueflation team is about twelve people. Um, the Nuon team, the, the Flatcoin is also about the same and then we've got people working on other projects as well um, that will be coming out soon. But I mean, I found that the, the other thing actually is the bigger an organization, the less effective it becomes. Mm-hmm. Because if you're more than eight people at a table, at a conference uh, or at a diner, dinning table, that you can then just be silent yeah, and or not contribute. or. If you're, you know, you're, what are the action items out of this meeting? If you're eight people, you're still pretty productive. If you don't come with a result at the next meeting, I couldn't deliver that. Then that impacts me. And we know each other personally because we're still eight people around a table. Uh-huh. And that then has a bigger impact. And so, how do we deal with that? And so, how do you build scalable teams? And to me, it's clusters of teams. You need clusters. Um, because if you get too big, you get ineffective. Yeah. You don't move fast anymore.
0: Um, and people can be like, ah, oh, it's not worth my time. I'm not worth Oh, Jack will do it. Away. I will. Exactly. It's like, oh, they'll do it. You know, it's like <laughs> somebody
1: else will, oh, I'm sick, I just won't <laughs> tell anybody. And, you know, I can push it out another week or something. Whereas in the startup world, you, you can't afford to do that. Or in rapidly innovating economies, you can't do that anymore. And the event. I mean, a couple of things, right? You mentioned technology. Technology is the savior of inflation. If we yeah. would not have had technology, so if we don't have innovation, we would have much higher inflation. Yep. Cost of everything. Would Cost be of insane. everything would be much higher. The other thing that brought down innova- inf- inflation is the global economy, right? Globalization has helped bring down costs because ultimately we can leverage, you know, more efficient manufacturing on one spot, more distribution on another spot. Uh, the sourcing of raw materials from another area, and we could leverage that bringing up economies of scale that allowed us to produce 100,000 TVs at a much lower unit cost so that we could all have better TVs um, and um, and, and increase the rate of of how many TVs we buy and, and ultimately lead in more trash. But we're recycling those TVs now too, right? So there's a lot of raw materials inside a television inside a mobile phone that are being recycled and reused,
0: and reused right the, the life same the supply chain is coming i think what you said the globalization is a key i mean yeah. that's what has led us on this 20-year journey yeah. of lower prices lower costs and now we've we, we we've hit the wall of qe and now it's showing us the the poison to that pill yeah. effectively of yeah. cheap money for yeah. everyone um, so this, this dollar based coin, I want to go back to the, the stable coin you guys work on. What's the name of it? N- or? Nuon. Nuon. It's a Nuon stable coin. And I'm, talk to me more about use cases of the stable coin today, and then also any type of regulation that might be affecting
1: you guys in the future, what you're seeing. Cause it's, it's a loud, it's a loud space right now. Yeah, I mean, so look at look at how money has been distributed. It's always it's centralized. You have a centralized institution that prints the money and distributes the money through large, centralized, incumbent organizations, yeah. private institutions, that then try to redistribute it to other smaller institutions that then are supposedly going to give incentive structures to drive adoption of yeah. this money into the marketplace and they're making investments so that's
0: like the funds and they're supposed to hire people or even like the same with goodwill they got you know they get 20 million dollars for a senior citizen working program and skill program it's like so the government's wow. giving goodwill money to hire senior citizens why don't you just give the money straight to them and yeah how they can enjoy their lives and
1: i guess how many people <laughs> along the stages keep a portion of oh, it of right course. so everybody gets and, and the amount goes from uh, you know trillions of dollars to the first layer that get a percentage of that then it goes to billions and then it goes to millions and then it goes to thousands then a hundred thousand, ten thousand. and so every time there's a percentage that goes along the way but of course the, the five institutions that get the trillions are a much smaller community yeah and are you know and are ultimately keeping and have that's why certain if you go into every city center you look at what all the logos on top of the buildings in any downtown city center they're all banks they're all accountants or they're all lawyers and the accountants are working for the banks yeah the lawyers are also working for the banks and so these are all downtown in every every location those are the the prime real estate owners so it's a bit funny how that happens i don't know the closer you are to
0: the money the easier it is and like you said, the, the more work you have. Yeah. If you're a lawyer billing $600, dollars an hour, heck, yeah. I got a new, it's a, a great example this is the IRA. Yeah. comes out, makes renewables way more, worth way more, that means every renewable law firm is going to make money, more money, every accounting firm is working on renewables, is going to make more money. All renewable companies have all these new projects that no one needed the energy before. Yeah. It's not lowering any but it's Now it's like, hey, here's another $800 million, that's not even on the taxpayer, it's it's just like it's just 800 million dollars of the qe right More but,
1: but how much of that 800 billion or million is yeah. going into building solar panels building wind farms building water general hydro plants or whatever it is that we need to meet the demand of energy requirements in a population or nuclear power plants is now yeah. accepted as, as as energy renewables as well right so I mean it should be it's the best energy we have but and and if that we don't it. build that infrastructure we're not going to be able to you know to modernize, a system. To modernize the system and it's just going to be lawyers and and, and accountants and, and institutions and, and consultants and, and you know analysts that are going to tell us oh we should build one we should we should we should, right? we, should. <laughs> we should have a nuclear power plant. you can but, pay me. But we can't get the regulations <laughs>
0: So one of the things that I've seen with financial education yeah. is that most people that are in the lower, like poorer in the lower middle class, is because of the, they don't understand the forces that are at play. Yeah. Like they are able to make by with a salary of let's say $50,000, $60,000, which is a great salary even today. Yeah. How do they, how do you educate this group of, a group of individuals about the true Wealth destruction that inflation has because when you think about eight percent, oh, that's a pretty low number. What we don't realize as humans, we have really a hard to understand. Eight percent compounding is huge. So how do you? What are you seeing on the education front? I mean, true inflation is
1: like I feel like the core product to help answer that. But and that's why we wanted to do the personal calculator, right? I mean, and will people spend the time to in you know? Track all of their spend. Uh, how many people actually track their expenditure? Number one, correct. Uh, how many people? And, and so, okay, let's say we now have tools to do that, right? The credit card company provides you a breakdown. You know, Mint provides you a breakdown. Yep. How many people then of that use those tools as well, right? Um, and so, how can we get make it easier and easier to visualize what it actually means to you and what inflation, how inflation impacts you personally? and what you can do against that. I mean, that's ultimately one of the dashboards we wanted to create. Mm-hmm. Um, it does require effort, so people need to invest the time to do so, and if you've got two or three jobs at the same time, it gets really difficult, right? Yeah. Um, well, and it's also, you, can't, you don't prioritize it because you don't realize either how it's affecting you or how you could do anything about it. But one thing i found was you know I, I also think there's a role that our educational institutions need to take on mm-hmm. educate at a much earlier level how you know sh- if i should i lease a car should i go to a bank and borrow or get a credit to buy a car you know or do i use it on my credit card right do i buy the car off my credit card right what is and how do i calculate well how do i compare How do I build? What tools are available to do that comparison? Mm -hmm. I think that would be super helpful, right? I mean, uh, mortgage, how do you get the best mortgage? How do you count? What are the different types of mortgages that you have? Things like that to to then streamline versus going to a loan shark, you know, paying 20% 20 a month or having it out on your credit card, having 20%, 30% a month, right? And who has your best interest in mind? The reality is is that you don't
0: know as a consumer, you're just, okay, I have my credit card. I might not be able to pay it off this month. Well, I get hit at 18% interest. Well, there's another guy on the street that will offer you 10%. And you just got to know who he is and talk
1: to him. Yeah, yeah Exactly. And that, that's uh, that, that sort of critical mindset or, I don't know, that's, we need to educate at high school levels, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that can't come at a college level. I mean, you have just earlier that we can, in real-world practical examples versus, you know, um, yeah, how does that impact? What can, you know, so masks. You learn maths around examples, what would it take, you know, sort of, that's the mathematics you need to do. Yeah, the, the real world
0: examples. Like when you're in math class, you should be figuring out how to use this math to determine your cost of goods or your, how to get a mortgage, like that's all things you can determine, with, it's all math. Yeah, so it's like, all math. Yeah, exactly. What's
1: the price per square foot in, in this your house problem? Why not sorry.
0: correlate it to real world purchase decisions? Yeah, exactly. So with Lugano Labs, you guys raised money. Let's talk about that journey. Yeah. Can you explain to me when you started, like how the process was, you know, how many pitches you had to do, were people thinking you're crazy, or people were like, I love this idea? Talk through that, because I think it's something that, you know, we're talking about financial freedom, financial education, raising capital to build a business is one of the, I think the best things you can do to build wealth. Yeah. So how is that process
1: for you? It's not an easy one, that's for sure. <laughs> Nobody believes you at the beginning. Everybody's super skeptical, and, and you need to overcome that, right? I mean, I, I had the advantage that for Laguna Labs, when we launched, that we I had a good team. Uh, I had a track record. Uh, And I had a lot of experience in being able to prove that I I have executions capability Mm -hmm. Um, What investors generally look for is they'll invest in the team So it's the people that matter you matter if you're going out and raising money So how do you bring across the energy you have the passion you have to sustain and hold through? Really tough times Mm -hmm. that you will go through the 50,000 nos you'll get before you get a yes, right? Um, the skepticisms. Everybody's got advice. They tell, oh, everybody tells you how to do this better and that better. But when you're actually, you're the person in the arena, you know, you're, you're the one fighting the bull, the bull's going to come out at you, and no matter some. oh, change, move to the left. It's like, the bull's coming at me. If I move to the left, there's a big stone there. I mean, you don't do you know, that. You, you need to be the one in charge of your story. Yeah, exactly.
0: And because people, like you said, they'll say, no, 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 no. But it's like, you believe this so strongly. Yeah. And so I guess, what is that belief for you in Laguna Labs such why inflation? Why do you do what you do?
1: Because I just want to protect people's purchasing power. I, that's my mission. I, I believe global economic trade is going to create a happier planet. Mm. Because with exchange of goods and services for a certain value, drives interaction interaction creates communication communication creates a better understanding for both parties Mm -hmm. a better understanding of the both parties creates a much more consensus driven environment versus a conflict oriented environment and that's what i want to get back to and i believe the blockchain and what we're doing at laguna labs putting more governance as it relates to economic benefits mm-hmm. to everybody is the way to go about it. Oh, 100%, it's the granular approach, but also has the macro
0: in it. Exactly. And it's what, like you said, this these forces that affect us that we don't really know yet,
1: blockchain is gonna help us quantify that. Exactly. And we'll put so much more, it's going to go onto the blockchain. We have no idea today. I mean, I wrote a white paper, Way, you know, right, I think in 2020, three years ago, about how we can tokenize the planet. Mm, okay. Tell it's, me more about that. <laughs> you know, so can we tokenize the carbon credits, right? Can we tokenize, you know, the car. You know, if you plant a mangrove tree, mangrove trees have been... Um, have been verified, you know, scientifically proven to be a great absorption of carbon dioxide and yeah. so okay if you plant one should you get over the life cycle of that carbon tree should you get uh, of the life cycle of that mangrove tree yeah. should you get how do you quantify that what are some examples how could you build a marketplace around that and so build a whole ecosystem around that anyway. And so the thought process here is that
0: why do we let the big guys get the carbon credits and build their carbon separation plants why doesn't everyone have the same ability to you know well, they you that's their job they're exactly. gonna go plant mango trees yeah. and the reason why you wouldn't do that for a job per se is because you don't have the the credits, the government credits or the, the system in place, but the reality is, is it's in place at the financial institution level,
1: but it's not in place at the individual level, so they're forced to go work for another massive institution. And so you look at, I looked at that industry, there are five, four or five companies that really matter and are the only ones allowed to to verify and certify that you have planted that mangrove tree and that mangrove tree is doing 10 carbon credits a day or a year or whatever it is. And and of course, they're big consultants. They're approved by the big institutions uh, or the governments, if you will. And ultimately, you need to pay them gazillions of dollars to come and verify. You and I can't afford yeah. that and for that three trees that we have at home that we planted to do good, right? It's not worth it's it. It's not worth it. It's just it's it, it doesn't work. So how can you democratize that or consumerize that and make that available to anybody? By bringing all this data on
0: chain, yeah. we're allowing it to be authenticated, val- validated at any moment, exactly. and then allowing people to take action. Incentives, incentive structures are huge, and that's. I think what is, what is changing with yeah. the Web3 and with crypto is we now have the ability to control yeah. incentives yeah. at the very, like we, we all wake up in the morning and we have this plan of action, yeah. all because we've set these incentives up for yeah.
1: us of what we're wanting to do and how we're going to spend our time. Actually, a good example of that directly to consumers are things like, you know, you call them city, but, but they are a, a, a very clear experiential Manifestation of the incentive program. It's like sweatcoin or yeah. Steppen, right? Where I walk, I walk to work. I earn coins yeah, because cool. it's clocked my step. Per step I do, you know. Mm-hmm. So there are all these little ideas that all of a sudden, with the phone, you can now earn money without doing anything, right? And, mm-hmm. and yeah, by doing your day to day, by just doing your day to day. And How can we gamify more of what we do on a day to day basis?
0: And then it comes down to what does society value? Is it value creation and it's then how do we incentivize that? Like, holy like holy we value planting mango trees? Trees versus, you <laughs> know, walking. Walking, <laughs> that, that is, this is a, a beautiful market. Yeah. So, what are, the problems, what are the problems with this space, like holding it back? Web3 in general or, or Laguna
1: Labs? I mean, what constraints are you guys seeing in the marketplace? So, it's the resistance to new, and it, resistance to innovation, I think, full stop. If I would summarize it, that would be it. And the reason I see that is, we have today people running the world. Yeah. That have been in their roles for decades and decades and decades and decades, right? So five, six decades run, they are still in charge. They have not been entrepreneurs themselves. They have, you know, not really, you know, they've by attrition. They've worked their way to get to where they're at, mm-hmm. just because they stood around and hung around the longest. And they're the ones deciding on how, and of course they don't want change, because yeah, it's their no. professional <laughs> life. And they all went to the same schools, by the way. They all went and worked at the same departments or the same offices and the same industries. So they're all together. And so they don't want change. Because mm-hmm. change to them doesn't bring any immediate... What's the benefit, benefit of change? Right. That means I have to work more, I have to understand something new. I might lose, my job I might, my, lose job. my job. I might make myself obsolete. Uh, and so that to me is is something we really drastically need to change quick. Mm-hmm. Because we can't become complacent. We we need to innovate because otherwise somebody else on the planet will do so. We'll do so okay. and we'll bring more jobs and scaling. When it comes to developers, yep. how are
0: the how is that availability amount of all the developers in the world, web three developers, I mean they're hard to come by, so what can we? What are you seeing like in uh, programs to make more
1: Web three developers? What are you guys doing or seeing in the development world? So a couple of things. One is um, there are about twenty six million developers worldwide. Okay. About eighteen thousand of them are active on a monthly basis in Web three. Wow. So that's less than a percent. So there's a big push and, and we we're really building out laguna labs to attract developers and come up with economic models that incentivize developers to provide value to a blockchain instead of just building building on the blockchain and getting a grant and then running away and doing something else mm-hmm. so how do we do that and, and so and how do we incentivize developers and where do we go to find developers that are interested in writing Programming, right? So development software development's complex, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people think, no, it's just easy, just build that, right? It's like, yeah, no app just works. I have, exactly, it just works, right? What, what programming language do I need? What tool sets do I use? Does it have a database? What's the load that I need to manage and maintain? The input-output associated with that app, the process. So all of those things you need to make decisions on as a software engineer. Um, And and, and that's the reason why they're called engineers, maybe that's why. It's like we build a building, I need to know how many water pipes do I need, what's the toilet ratio to capital, what's the aircon air ducts I need to manage the flow of air, I don't know. They're
0: solving really technical problems that that if you don't solve in the application, it makes it unusable, that space.
1: And Those are infrastructural problems, right, and that, that needs to be solved, and so anyway, where do you go for those, and how do you attract them into Web3? And the advantage that we have in Web3 is there's innovation happening, and there's creative freedom that these developers can exercise without the framework of legal restrictions, regulatory frame, you know, impediments, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, lawyers, product managers, marketing guys that are shouting down their neck to get this down <laughs> going and build this. And, build this widget and only incrementally improve it. I don't want to change anything, just improve it incrementally, right? I mean, that was, don't change my business model, yeah. They have
0: all these developers, yep. 70,000, 80,000 people. They hire them not because they need new products and they're working on cool things, it's because hey, your job as developers is to just always make little changes. Yep. And what that means is that you're incentivized to make new changes, but you're not incentivized to optimize old systems or to maintain old systems. Yep. And I think that's a lot of what happens in the developer world, but it's like how do we build core systems that we can affect people's lives. And I think the software is, is coming. to yeah. That point in true is one of those tools where it's like, this can really affect the lives of millions of people because it's fundamentally different than what else, whatever, whatever everything else that's out there and it's
1: verifiable and trustable. And I think you go, I mean, Innovator's Dilemma, a book comes to mind, right? It's sort of, you look at that and I think every tech company or every company that starts up is the innovator. Yep. And then you grow to a certain size, and then you run the dilemma, if I change too much now, I change my business model, right? Yep. And if I change my business model, then ooh, that could impact my investors who are, who are going to be worried about going back into a new business, right? And so. It's it's, it's, a, it's definitely a dilemma mm-hmm. and tech companies have been going through that all the time, right? I mean, we've seen a huge transition between all the tech companies. And if you don't innovate, you die, Yeah. right? And you experience that. There's no government bailouts. There's no, you know, you, you die, you, you crash and burn and that's the way it goes, right? And that's how it seems to be for everyone
0: in the market who's a small business, yep. you know, but when it comes to larger guys, it's almost like
1: they're too big to fail. Exactly. And they're the ones that get the bait on, but either way... Um, either way, we <laughs> progress from that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think one thing that, that, to me, is is that as an innovator, you have to get distribution faster than the incumbents get innovation. Mm. Distribution faster than the incumbents get innovation. Exactly. Because the incumbents already have the distribution. Yep. And if they understand how to innovate and then get the... Dis- and so the incumbents are going to do everything In their power to slow down any kind of innovation that might threaten their distribution mechanism, right? Mm. Or versus adopt it. And I've been involved in a lot of different. I mean, I got involved very early on in the mobile industry, and I remember mobile app developers were the disruptors, right? It was like trying to build apps on the. I don't need apps on the phone, right? This was when Nokia was trying to sell, you know, phones that could play music and have your credit cards and your phone. Really? Yeah, Nokia had all of that. But then they lost that ability to convert that into reality, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because they weren't able to to
0: build the user experience that we now use today, which is the full screen. And so everyone was
1: like, yeah, this is cool, but it's not 10x better. Because they started shifting from an engineering-based organization into a more structured, financial analytically driven marketing orientation mm. organization and so as a result what's the spreadsheet what's the ROI of that innovation of building a flat screen yeah How, and, and I'm gonna base the ROI based on historics yeah based on the pattern of our traditional phone I can then calculate that if you're doing a flat screen phone, oh we launched that two years ago and nothing worked and, and so if we take the trajectory that we've got now versus actually taking a fresh look, and let's try and get something new into market. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the innovators dilemma that really happened. So again, it also comes down to how big are you? How do you stay nimble? How do you stay focused? How do you have customer feedback mm-hmm. and incorporate that into the product development cycle? And your
0: product needs to be amazing. Yes. I think is, as an incumbent, yeah. your product is the, the status quo, uh, or it's the de facto, and it's not, the Best that's not in this, world. when someone has a new product, the tech guy, they have to be 10 times better, like yeah. you say, we're 30 times faster than the government collecting this data for AAA check.
1: So, but nobody appreciates tech, com- tech companies are, uh, deal with this all the time, and so how do they go about doing it? They generally do acquisitions, so they let small, innovative companies blossom. Yep, Google bought YouTube for a billion dollars. I mean, you know, yeah. think of that. I mean. Everybody thought they were crazy, right? They had all these lawsuits that to clean it up and they made it now today. But they saw something at the time that nobody else saw. Facebook bought Instagram, they bought WhatsApp. $18 billion they paid for WhatsApp. 50 employees, everybody thought they were crazy. But look at WhatsApp now. It's the worldwide messaging platform for everybody, right? And it's mobile. But at the time, everybody thought Facebook was crazy. But they saw something that nobody else saw. Instagram was just a picture you know, it's just a place to share pictures, Yep. and now it's a part of their feed, it's a part of their product. And then everybody criticizes them, oh, now they're too powerful, right? <laughs> Adobe just bought Figma, Yeah. why are they buying Figma? Because everybody's moving away from that Photoshop framework, in, and then nobody's using their cloud service, so everybody's using Figma though, why are they using Figma? Because we need it in websites, websites are more important than PowerPoint presentations. Exactly, right? and that's what the
0: real developers are. Exactly. So making the tool set that the future is using, how do you guys, with Pluto Labs, you look, you're building two tools for people, how do you view that experience
1: being 10 times better? Like what, I guess, how do you think about making the experience? It has to more. be 10x better, right? And so we felt that with Truflation, we can already do it 30 times faster, we're already doing it you know a million times better because we've got 18 million data point uh, items that we track versus the 60,000 that other institutions track and so we felt that that's definitely a 10x improvement and we felt that not many people have tackled that problem right? yeah. um, and and so we looked at that angle right and we had a lot of difficulty coming back to the investor story convincing investors that this was a mode. What's your moat? How are you gonna charge people, right? Still people ask us that question all the time. Yeah. And it's like our mode is the big, you know, how did Google build a mode? They started off, you know, with aggregating more websites and crawling more and more websites. Than anyone else. Than anyone else. And so our view was, how do we make a great user experience with the data that we're aggregating? Um, and we had to convince a lot of investors, right? This isn't core tech. I need core tech, right? Mm. And so, <laughs> What do you mean by core tech, though? So they mean sort of, okay, what's the core underlying algorithms that you're going to be building that's going to be unique to your service and you don't open source that? Or yeah. what is the infrastructure that you're going to be building in terms of hardware aggregation, software components that are going to plug into those hardware and build a new database on the blockchain, for example, right? But then you know, at least, that this investor is not the right investor for you. So you then go and find who and which investor suits you, but if you have a clear vision, you're not gonna know some investors will like what you're doing, and it's it's latching onto that, because those are people that you can then brainstorm with, evolve your product, they'll give you good constructive feedback, they'll have faith in you as you go down this path. And
0: I think that's the most important thing, is that clear vision. As an entrepreneur, as someone raising money, anyone, if you don't have a clear story and vision, I was like, well, you don't know what you're doing either. Yeah. The reality is we're all our emperors with no clothes on and we don't know what we're doing, but you have to be able to have that understanding of I'm gonna wake up every day, I'm gonna leave my team to this success and I'm gonna execute and I have done it before, yep. I'm gonna continue to do it in the future. Exactly.
1: And that's why you should give me capital. Exactly. And it's all about the guys that give you the money, they're capital allocators. Yep. And so they look for where they can get a return on their capital. And venture is high risk, so they know that I'm gonna make some bets um but they're risking and they're betting on the people um, and you think they're when they're
0: making a bet they're more betting on the people than they are the technology or the idea or i guess you know like it still goes together
1: i think they go together yeah but i mean it's can the people execute on the idea yeah. and the technology that they because actually i think more the people i'd say it's a maybe a, a 60 to 70 weighting to the people and then a 40 30 30 40 percent mm-hmm. to the technology because the people are,
0: are the ones who end up Building the story around the idea and also the clarity around yeah. that idea so they know where the target is. And so it's like the people ping the target. Do they think you can hit the target? But if you don't have you know, the target, you don't have the people anyway. So and maybe- you may
1: shift, right? The markets shift all yeah. of a sudden. Can you pivot? Can you pivot? Can, can you your grow? story grow? Can you grow? And can you grow off the same theme? You know, the other thing is, what if, you know, at the time everybody thought inflation was only going to be transitory. When we launched inflation, oh, yeah. what, you know, three months, inflation's going to be gone. So how are you going to be relevant, right? And Ooh. it's like, we heard that a lot, too, right? Like so how many no's
0: did you get if you had to estimate before you got your all your yeses to fill out the round? Are we talking mm-hmm. 10 no's, 100 no's, 1,000
1: no's? No, it was definitely more than 10, less than 100. Okay. I mean, it was definitely in the 10s, 20s, 30s, maybe 30 no's. Nice. Uh and, but I, I was very lucky to get a, a yes very early on and a super committed yes. Mm. Um, so and that, you think that's a key for raising key. money? Uh, it just gives you momentum, you have the support, the backing, and the credibility. And so was that a yes
0: with a check or just a yes, I'm gonna commit a term sheet, maybe sign a document, or
1: how did that yes come about if you don't mind sharing? Um, so the yes came, uh, there were two two yeses, right? So. The S yes for Trueflation came about with a term sheet and a commitment and, and a network, right? And so opening a lot of doors yeah. and helping. And that 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 got us going. And we still got a lot of no's, but at least we got a lot of doors to the right people really quickly. Really? And that, that helps. Um, and then with Laguna Labs, we originally found a investor that um, had committed a significant check size to because we just had an excel spreadsheet mm-hmm. and this concept of a flat coin and and and, and that was and i said okay we'll back you based on your background we'll back you and, oh. and so we got we got that and we then had to come up with the story and then and we we walked them through our every sort of we had weekly Weekly monthly updates and so we would just update how far we come this month and this is what we're thinking this is where we're going Yeah, and they saw that progress and we executed fast, right? And so yeah, that's what they liked a lot That's
0: that's I think that's a very a key portion of young entrepreneurs They yeah. you don't it's a lot of talk but not a lot of execution The reality is it's better to not have any meetings for a whole week yeah. show what you can do and then have that meeting
1: and know what you want and the investor is yeah. like hell yeah, let's do it and it's it's yeah, show, so I have a, a statement that I stole from a, a really close friend that I worked with in the mobile ecosystem a lot. But code beats, you know, code beats PowerPoint. Code beats PowerPoint. Yeah, I love it. So if you have code and you can show a demo, it, that's much stronger than a business plan on a PowerPoint. Exactly. Because yeah. the code is like, oh, this
0: is actually the feature set. Yeah. It's tangible, immediate.
1: And I can see you build something, you've invested your idea to try and conceptualize, take your concept and put it onto... Mm-hmm. Um, so it's easy to connect the dots and conceptualize, but it's hard to execute and make better experiences. And that's why the incumbents don't do it. Yeah. That's why it's, it's like, give me a plan, show me the Excel spreadsheet, what's the ROI, what's the investment going to be, what's the cycle. And so you have to go through this whole rigor or mortem uh, rigorer. I don't know what that word maybe that's not the right to say it. But you have to go through this whole process to get to an outcome before you can even start, right? Yeah. So it's like so burdensome. It's like you just finished the marathon and now you're actually going to start your yeah. ultra marathon. But it's also safe, right? There's no pressure on you if you're in a bigger organization because you're still earning your salary all this yeah. time. And if you're sick tomorrow and you don't turn up, nobody's really going to notice. I mean, if you do it very regularly, people get a bit upset and they'll <laughs> notice. But but ultimately, you know, you're in under this sort of safe umbrella of a bubble, mm-hmm. um, so, of of
0: the corporate, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> well, all what else do you have to sh- want to share with the, the community and
1: on the podcast? Um, look, you know, to, to check out app, you know, check out you know, check out and you know, check out Laguna L U G A L A G U dot N A Um and, and check out our products and. If you're interested, you're a developer, Build, um, we'll provide you with all the support we can um, to make uh, your product a success around what we're trying to do.
0: And where can people connect with you personally? What's the best social media?
1: So Twitter, srust99, srust99, um, and then on Telegram, same handle. Hell yeah. Uh Well, thanks again, guys, for listening in to the Digital Goal
0: Podcast. This is episode one of season two, and we're excited to be back. I'm glad to be a pilot. <laughs>